in my work as a coach, I spend time with the people I partner with to think about like inner resources and that we all have resources internally and attributes and skills that we can tap into in the future to get through certain situations. And so for me, what I'm trying to do through this whole experience is remember the resilience and the patience and all of these, what I would call inner resources. And I've been trying to almost like bottle them up such that when I find uh, adversity or I need adversity down the road, whether it's professionally or personally, I can think back to this experience and almost use this experience as a catalyst to get through other hard times. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today's interview is with Steve Schoffman, a investor and coach in NYC. Um, it's a great interview. And before I talk about this interview specifically, I just want to address something that's come up uh, in general. And uh, it's kind of a philosophy that I do this show with. Um, and I believe that there are experts in specializations, in specialized fields of domain. Um, I do not believe that there are any experts at life. Uh, this is why the term life coach is so difficult for me to work with, uh, because that would assume that one person knows how to live their life better than the other person. And, you know, maybe that's true. But ultimately, I don't believe there are experts at life. And so I ask a lot of questions on the show of people who might not have expert answers in those, in those, uh, to those questions, uh, but I want to hear their answers anyway. Uh, so I just want to make it clear that um, if you're tuning into this show, please do it with beginner's mind. Um, I ask that of all the guests on the show. I ask that of myself. Uh, to the mind of the expert, uh, there are very few possibilities. And in the mind of the beginner, there are almost unlimited uh, possibilities. So um, please, let's take beginner's mind uh, whenever we're listening to this episode or doing anything for that matter. I find it's a helpful thing. Even if you are an expert, it's a, it's a great way to look at a problem from a novel viewpoint when you look at it from a beginner. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, hopefully you enjoy this ep episode with Steve. Uh, Steve suffered an accident just a few weeks before we started recording, um, and he has a lot to say about stress and creativity. He also did a Vipassana meditation retreat uh, previous to that as well. So he has a lot of interesting things to say about this subject. And uh, I do want to make it clear that I, I am offering a uh, online course for startup founders at their seed stage or series A stage. Uh, my friend Anders Jones is the CEO of Facet Wealth and he's raised $40 million in his series A. Uh, and we're gonna do an online course, a live online training where people can sign up beforehand uh, and get access to Anders and his wisdom about how to raise money for a series A or a seed stage. Also, he's on the cusp of hyper growth um, and I've always found it valuable to find the wisdom of people who have done it recently um, in the last year or two years and find out what is currently working for them. And so that's the goal of this online course with Anders Jones is to find out what is working for him and put that out there so that early stage founders can understand a little bit more about how to, uh, how to win um, and how to win in 2019. So if you are interested in that, it is application only, um, and uh, you can find out more by subscribing to my blog at stuartalsop.substack.com. Again, that's stuartalsop.substack.com, uh, and I'll be including more information and an application you can find there. So please let me know what you think about this episode. 
Uh, Steve was a great guest. It's a lot of wise things to say. Welcome everyone to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Steve Schlafman, and he is the partner and leadership coach at Primary Venture Partners. Uh, he also had a surgery recently on his shoulder, so and has a lot to say about stress and the relationship to creativity, and also started a podcast, or wanted to start a podcast, and then and we're going to get into the backdrop to that. Really excited to talk with you, Steve. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, pleasure to be here. So great to be with you. Cool. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about this right before the show. We're getting into a little bit about how you had this experience of chronic pain, and which I was sharing that I also had and is one of the, the impetuses for this podcast. And you you are going to start a podcast, but then that got in the way. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I actually have dealt with fairly chronic pain in my chest for most of my adult life. And it was one of these things that sort of came and went. It actually started when I, I began my career, probably back in like 2003, 2004, I was sitting at work and I'm like, huh, that's kind of weird. My, my chest is hurting kind of like over by my heart. And so I was like, that's odd. Went to the emergency room, set up an EKG and they said, you're fine. It's probably reflux. So I was like, oh, I guess I, you know, I, I guess I have reflux. Uh, like, like many Jewish men that are getting older. And of course that chest pain, I, I saw, well, I saw a doctor he checked me out. He said, I think you're fine. I'm going to put you on this med and these meds. And uh, you know, like a, it, at the time, it was almost like a Prilosec, a proton pump inhibitor. And like kind of ke kept on coming and going and coming and going. Finally, about four years ago, I decided to get sober, um, stop drinking and, and smoking weed, largely because I thought that that was contributing to the chest pain, despite mm -hmm. like seeing doctors. And um, it kind of went away, then it came back. Anyhow, to make a long story short, this spring, it sort of flared up and I was like super uncomfortable. And the last time I had had a flare up was actually in the middle of the 10 day Vipassana retreat. And so I ended up getting checked out by all these doctors, EKG, endoscopy, um, uh, blood tests, urine, and everything came back fine, but I couldn't really concentrate on anything other than this chest pain. And I felt like the more pain I had, the more anxiety that I had, that, 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 that I had. And then of course that caused more pain and more, it just became this like spiral. And then to make a long story short, I was in the middle of creating a podcast that I was really excited about. I was part of Seth Godin's The Podcast Fellowship. I was about halfway through starting to record and the pain was so bad that I had to stop. Mm -hmm. I, I, I literally had zero um, capacity in my brain to do anything other than sort of get out of bed, go to work and come home. All of my creative energy was completely zapped out of me. This is, and it's so key to what I was sharing before we started recording, which was that before I started this podcast, there was about a year or two years where I was, it was about a year where I was stuck in bed and I couldn't move. The only thing I could make myself do, or not make myself do, the only thing that helped me, because uh, I, I, I knew I was studying the science of behind chronic pain and exercise. And then one of the best things you can do for chronic pain is to exercise. But then one of the worst things you can do is over-exercise. So there's this, always this line between there was for me that always this line between exercise and over exercise. And so I would, the only thing I could do was go and play basketball basically. And then I would be laid out for basically uh, the rest of the day. I would just be on the bed 
and and like slowly 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 after that i've gotten healthier and healthier and healthier and um and then it finally you know this podcast idea i've been thinking about it for a long time and then i started to do interviews but it's really interesting that you bring up this chest pain because uh, one of the things i've learned in the in the science is that we have when we sense something in the body uh, there's generally two parts that we sense. There is the um, kind of the muscles and the sensory receptors and the muscles and the skin and the tissue outside. Uh, and, and then there's the, the uh, what's called interoception where we get this sense of inside the body, what's happening in the organs and what's happening in the heart. Do you think it was like more of a, I'm not trying to diagnose you or anything like that, but do you think more, it was more of a uh, external like skin type receptor thing or a more internal interoceptive thing? Oh, absolutely internal. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely internal. And the doctors believe that it's something muscular skeletal related. Mm. Um, Interestingly enough, uh, I I had a pretty serious cycling accident about seven weeks ago that required surgery. Mm. And since then, uh, most of the pain, I would say like 95 plus percent of my chest pain has gone away, Mm. uh, which I found like really, really fascinating. And that's, I want to get into the surgery in a bit, but the, and the other interesting thing you mentioned was that you were in a Vipassana meditation retreat and something I've recently come to the conclusion on is that, uh, and this is a little out there, but, uh, chakras, the chakra system was a way of talking about internal experiences and internal awareness and internal um, uh, phenomenon uh, that, and they didn't have access to the scientific understanding of, of, of what is going on inside the body. So another way of saying chakra is interoception. Uh, and then oftentimes these types of things can uh, show up on a meditation retreat. Do you think it had anything to do with that? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I actually, it was funny cause I, for the, for the listeners, who, who might not know what a Vipassana retreat is. It's a 10 day silent meditation retreat where the first call it three, I think it's the first four days you, you follow your breath basically for 10 hours a day. And then, uh, the, the last six days you do a variety of body scans from the top of your head to the tips of your toes, basically over and over and over again. Um, so you, you become intensely in tune with your body. And I'd say like day four or five, I started getting these chest pains. And, um, you know, obviously, the deeper I went into my meditation, the worse the pain became, Mm -hmm. where it just kind of feels like a tightness and a burning sensation. And what's interesting is the way it shows up from an anxiety perspective Mm -hmm. is for a long time, it, it makes me wrestle with my own mortality. Mm-hmm. And I always sort of felt like it, it could be something, uh, something uh, terminal that was going on inside of me. So I basically couldn't talk for six days and had to sit with the idea that I could have a terminal illness. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was a really powerful experience. Thankfully, towards the end, what ended up happening was um, I had a variety. I had this like really incredible experience where they break silence on the last day and you're able to talk to some of the students outside and there's a courtyard and I was talking with one of the students and I was telling her about my experience we actually carpooled together so I, I told her about my chest pain and 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 some of the sensations I was experiencing 
And she had just, she had, she had said something that really changed my mind in terms about self-love and self-acceptance. Mm. And once that happened in my later meditations in the day, I sort of like eased into the pain. Mm. And that night when I was going to bed, I started feeling my chest almost go into spasm mm. where it felt like I had these muscle spasms that were almost being released. And like literally my chest was vibrating. Uh, I know for the listeners that might sound a little crazy, but it really is amazing the connection between the mind and the body. And that was one example uh, where it sort of that that led me to believe that it was probably muscular, though it wasn't diagnosed by by a Western medicine doctor. So I was always wondering what what the hell it could be. But um, again, it, it, it was one of those experiences that led me to believe that the mind is, is incredibly powerful and oftentimes, uh, our issues can manifest themselves in the body. Absolutely. And, um, probably for a lot of my listeners, that's not, they, they probably, <laughs> probably have been hearing quite a bit of that over the last few months, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, the, the, and there's another concept, I think not a concept, but experience, but, uh, and, and. Uh, common human trait that you're getting to, and I've never thought I've never heard of it talked about before. I started reading uh, Kashmir philosophy called Kashmir Shaivism um, uh, from the essentially uh, a tantric lineage with a K, not a not neo tantra, which is what most people um, mistake as as traditional tantra. And they talk about something called spanda, and spanda is this feeling in the heart center, um, and it's in it. And it it depending on your attitude can be either ad, uh, excitement or anxiety. Um, and, and it's this kind of expansive and then contractive thing. It, it expands and then it contracts. Um, and it sounds very similar to, to part of the experience that you're experiencing or you were experiencing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's funny because I was at the meditation retreat and when the pain started to come up, I was like, what the hell? I'm at a meditation retreat. I'm eating mm. healthy. I'm meditating. Like, why is this happening? But obviously, the, I, my body was having a response to, to, the, to the meditation and the, and the technique. Mm. And so can you talk more about the accident, if you're up for it, and the, and the surgery and kind of the stress that you've been experiencing from all of that? Yeah, sure. I'd be, I'd be happy to. So about seven weeks ago, I was up in the Catskills, which is about two to three hours north of New York City. It's, it's a region uh, in, in the state. And I was on my bike. I'm a, I'm a cyclist. Um, and I, I went out on a Sunday. Uh, it was a beautiful day out, zero wind, not a cloud in the sky, about 75 degrees, arguably like the perfect day to get on the bike and, and go for a few hours. And I was about two miles into the ride and lost focus for a second. And this happens some from time to time where, you know, I'll sort of drift into the shoulder of the, of the road. And this time I sort of found myself on the grass. Mm. Um, there was almost like a grassy shoulder. And, you know, I was very composed and calm and went to just merge back on. but sort of miscalculated one thing which is they they had paved the road 
the week before and they put two layers of pavement but didn't remove the original pavement so there was almost like this unnatural lip in the road mm -hmm. and so when i went to merge in i i didn't anticipate the lip and needing a like a different angle and basically what happened is i was going to probably about 20 miles an hour and my my tire hit the lip at the at the wrong angle and my tire basically went out from under me mm. and you know within a split second first my my handlebars hit um those got cracked then my shoulder hit then my helmet hit the ground and immediately you know it's one of those moments where i knew i was badly injured um and i was you know in the middle of nowhere in the in the catskills you know, there's usually about a house every hundred or yards or so, mm. uh, if that. And so I basically picked myself up off the ground. Thankfully, a couple had stopped their car and I did like a full, almost like a full body inventory where I was like, okay, I'm on my feet. Like mm. none of my appendages are broken. My feet are intact. I have some scrapes on my arm my my it feels like my shoulders in the joint so and then basically i was like okay it's a collarbone mm. and so, so i calmly called my wife i have a seven month old at home i said hey i want you to know i got into a really severe accident i'm badly hurt but the good news is is i'm on my feet and i'm not far from home and there's a couple saying they're gonna drive me home so i was very calm and i told my wife hey everything's going to be okay. I'm not that like I'm hurt, but it's going to like, it's going to, it's going to be, everything's going to turn out fine. Mm. And, um, the, the couple threw my bike in the car, drove me home. And of course went to the emergency room the next day. I, I saw an orthopedic specialist here in the city. And basically the diagnosis was that I shattered my collarbone. Mm. So I basically broke the bone in three different places um as well as you know there were bone fragments everywhere in the shoulder obviously it swelled to the point where you know black and blue everywhere basically down my shoulder and my chest um and about four days later uh, i had reconstructive surgery on that shoulder typically with these kinds of injuries they use what's known as a five hole plate mm. but because the, the the bone was so badly broken they had to use a nine hole plate. And so now I basically have a plate that fused that runs the entire length of my collarbone and basically fused it together. Mm -hmm. But I had to basically sit five days in bed before I even could get surgery. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course the whole recovery process following surgery, mm -hmm. which has been about like seven weeks now, you said, well, it's yeah, it's been about almost six weeks mm -hmm. since the surgery itself. And it's, it's been a long road. I mean, you know, I've actually been in incredibly good spirits, um, throughout the whole process. Like I, as soon as it happened, uh, you know, I, I sort of was like, you know what, I can look back and try to replay that what happened in my head over and over and play Monday morning quarterback, mm -hmm. uh, or I can focus all of my energy mm -hmm. on my recovery and getting my body and my mind ready for, for surgery. And then for recovery and and i've had a really positive uh mindset throughout and and you know i'm further in my in my recovery and progress than 
both my physical therapist and my doctor thought, but mm. it is going to take, I, I think I have about another three months of physical therapy. Mm. Um, uh, this was my fourth week of it. So it's, it's a long road, but I'm in good spirits. And I find that like, as long as I'm uh, celebrating the small w- victories, whether it's like yesterday, I went for a 20 minute, extremely light jog mm. and that was great, mm. but it's, it's been a full process. I also should say I broke two ribs. So like the first 10 days, I couldn't even get myself out of bed on my own, mm. um, both because the shoulder and the surgery, like the shoulder fracture, and then of course the surgery, but also the broken ribs. I like, I, 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 there was no way for me to get my, myself out of bed. Oh, I was going to say one thing that was incredibly helpful. I forget who over Twitter had recommended it um, as a way to, to both prep for my surgery and then following surgery uh, which is a uh, hypnotherapy. Hmm. And so I actually, uh, started to research hypnotherapy. I didn't go too deep just cause I was in so much pain and trying to stay off my devices, but I basically found these series of, uh, hypno, uh, hypnotherapy sessions, um, that were are designed for patients to listen to them before surgery and then following surgery. And so the five days leading up to the surgery, I would listen to these, like, think of them almost as like a 15 minute meditation um, that would get me into like an extremely relaxed state where, you know, my entire, it's almost like a body scan breathing into every single part of your body and like relaxing. Mm. And then the, I forget the gentleman's name, but they, he then brought, you into the place that like he has you visualize the most relaxing place you've ever been in your life and then sort of walks you down a staircase like a virtual staircase into that place and then once you're there he starts to mentally prepare you for the surgery Mm -hmm. and basically says you know your care team is extremely well trained this is what they Mm -hmm. do you're in great hands and so by doing that twice a day for four or five days before the procedure, I actually went in with far less anxiety than I mm. thought I would have because I had been telling myself through these through this these hypnotherapy sessions that I was in really good hands and the doctors were trained and that I'm going to emerge from the surgery feeling so much better, so on and so forth. And then I also listened to these hypno that like this hypno the post surgery hypnotherapy sessions for call it seven days mm-hmm. afterwards, and that was all around like going into the cells in in the area that was affected by the surgery, and mm-hmm. and sort of just like embracing and 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 feeling that they're healing and recovering, mm-hmm. and then the and then uh, trying to really uh, lean into uh, visualization around what it's going to look like when I'm back to a hundred percent and doing the things that I love to do that I can't do right now. And so I found that to be a really effective tool for me, both pre and post surgery. That is really interesting. And it gets to very powerful thing that we have as human beings, but a lot of us in the West have kind of trained not to use, or maybe have some fear around Um, a lot of what you just said to somebody who hasn't had that experience could be considered as to be almost like woo or like something that, that 
doesn't really exist because the brain and the mind and the body are, are not that connected. Uh, but I've experienced it. Many other people have experienced it. And once you start going down this path of like, what is really possible when you unite mind and body towards a common goal. Um, and, and I wonder, have you ever experienced that fear of certain practices? For example, you went on Vipassana 10 day meditation, which is a very, brings up a lot of fear for a lot of people. It certainly did for me when I, when I, before doing it, uh, and, and I have a lot of other practices that, that, that I once considered to be fear, fear around, but then actually ended up to be very important for my growth and my healing. What, um, have you ever experienced that before? I, nothing actually comes to mind. I, I find that for me, I'm open to trying mm. anything as long as I believe that I'll get some sort of benefit or, or, or interesting experience out mm. of it. And so mm. I try to keep a very open mind. Mm. I do. I, there, there is something that I am, not that I'm skeptical, um, which is, uh, like, uh, what is it like pranayama breathing, mm. like really fast, intense breathing. Mm. I, mm. I can struggle with from time to time. Mm. I've also done a, not a fair amount, but I've experimented with holotropic breathing, mm. uh, specifically in guided settings. Mm. And, uh, those have been incredibly intense for me. Um, like really, really intense, both mm. physically and mentally. And so, that that's an example of something that if I were to go and do a holotropic breathing session next week, like I would probably have some anxiety just knowing how taxing it can be on the body and the mind. Uh, you bring up a really good point and something that I, in this whole process that I had, where, which was chronic pain, I was, it was about a three year process where I had these braces on and they were causing me progressively, progressively more pain. But I had this, I was convinced that it was a necessary pain in order to uh, reach the goal of, of healthy teeth. Uh, and now I realize the goal was ridiculous, uh, cause that's not actually what healthy teeth mean, but, uh, I got into a lot, I went to a lot of retreats, a lot of meditation retreats, and not only Vipassana, which includes no breath control, no breath regulation, but also a lot of yogic retreats, which include quite a bit of, of breath regulations. And I found like thousands of different techniques, most many of which many people don't know. You talked about fast breathing, what's called a kapalabhati or, um, or another one called bellows breath. Uh, and, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's, and then there's holotropic breathing, which is a different form of breathing that also is related to a lot of other, other pranayama techniques. And I got myself into quite a hole doing a lot of these things. A lot of them, uh, they are very, very powerful, potent practices that should need to be treated with a respect uh, and most likely a, 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 a one-on-one teacher relationship where the teacher is monitoring uh, that, those practices because they, it is amazing that we can do this with no other substances, uh, but those, those can be as difficult or uh, experiences as psychedelics or other types of things, just manipulating the breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I had some, some psychedelic-like experiences mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, both through through Vipassana as well as the holotropic breathing. 
Yeah. And that's another good point that, that also meditation does that as well. Meditation opens you up to a, a experience of life that can in some ways be psychedelic in some ways, very difficult to experience. Like for people with um, uh, psychological issues, uh, meditation is not a panacea. It, it, it won't necessarily solve those problems and might actually make them worse in the short term. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I'm, I'm kind of laughing though. I, for me, I, I, I that, that tends to be a reaction of, it can be a reaction of nervousness. Mm. Uh, but when I was like day seven, day eight of my Vipassana retreat, I actually went to the teacher. As as you know, they, they give you these windows where you can go and ask questions. And uh, I, I sort of had this moment where it was like, shit, I did not read the the instruction manual here. <laughs> and I didn't realize like what how, you how in yeah, I didn't realize how intense it, it could be uh, to the point where I felt like I was almost doing sur like internal surgery on myself mm, yep. um, and going into these pockets of pain that I was feeling in my chest and then just like sitting on the pain, almost like feeling it like I was touching whatever mm. the pain was with, with all of my focus. And then the pain would like dissolve and I would feel like kind of like a mini muscle spasm and then it would tighten up again. Hmm. And so I, 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 it was just this really bizarre experience. So I went to the teacher and I was like, he's like, well, do you need to turn down the heat? And I was like, I don't know what I need right now, but I didn't, I, I did not anticipate this. And the only thing I could really relate it to, frankly, and as I said, I got sober about four years ago. Because it was the first time where I had felt like I was on serious drugs, yet like I hadn't taken anything. Yep. I was just eating incredibly cleanly, getting sleep, and then of course meditating ten days, and and I would just develop such an appreciation for the uh, for the people that developed this technique thousand mm. what thousand, two to two thousand plus years ago. Um, because it, it really is so powerful and it's incredible that you can bring your mind and your body to these places just through breath and body scans. Mm. So I'd like to talk about a point you made, um, and it's, it's okay if we, if we don't go into it, but uh, you talked about a 2,000-year-old technique. And I, I do believe that the practice of meditation does stretch back to that, but there's an interesting phenomenon that, that occurred um, which is that, so Goenka, the Vipassana retreat that we're talking about, it was probably the Goenka lineage, correct? It was, yes. Yeah. So, so uh, Goenka is from uh, Myanmar, from Burma, and uh, he, he says that he had access to, to a line of meditation that was many thousands of years old, but I suspect that it is a similar thing that happened with a lot of other meditation uh, um, kind of lineages from... Uh, Tibet and from from India and from Thailand and from other places that were essentially redeveloped because we have we have access to the scriptures of of, of thousands of years ago where they talk about these meditation techniques um, and and but there was a the practice of meditation was actually lost to all societies people just stopped meditating um, and then was rediscovered slowly uh, uh, after uh, after this period of 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 of, of uh, decline. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of what we today practice as meditation are actually techniques that were developed in the 1800s, 1850s and, and 1900s. Um, so it's a really interesting historical kind of like globalization mixture. It also happened with yoga, uh, and, uh, uh, it, it, 
basically the the British brought a bunch of calisthenic body exercises that they had learned from the Scandinavians and the gymnastic cultures of the 1800s. And then they brought it to India and started to teach the, um, the elite, uh, Indian elite of it in a, in a martial sense. Uh, and then uh, the Indian elite took that and then combined it with this rediscovery of ancient philosophy, ancient meditation techniques, uh, and then created what we know, know of as modern postural yoga now. And then that then came to the West from Indian gurus and then was further brought into American culture. And now what we practice in America is actually something uh, that where there is some sense of a, of, a, of a longer line of history, but is actually primarily a product of globalization. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, and so that's really interesting. So let's, we talked about stress. We talked about, you know, this, this period of difficult that you, difficulty that you've been experiencing. Um, and we can either go further into that and I'll, you know, ask you about maybe like, what are the lessons you've learned about how to manage stress from particularly from the last five to six weeks or kind of be with it, or we can get into creativity and kind of the things that you're really excited about, about creating, um, or, or that you've been prevented from creating or that you, what, what are you most interested in talking about? So, so I think like one of the things that I've struggled with post my injury is, as I said, I've been trying to focus exclusively on my recovery and really, and really relaxing into the pain and just accepting where I am in my, in my recovery. But inevitably, like I think anytime someone has a a traumatic experience and a real, uh, a real trauma to their body, I think it's inevitable so that the brain goes back and sort of replays it. Mm. And so I will say that, you know, maybe once every few days or so, my brain, even though I'm trying not to, is just taking me back to that experience. Um, and what I'm trying, when, when, it, when it happens, I don't try to go over and over again and like, again, ask what if. I'm, I, I, I then quickly am moving back into the future and focusing on the recovery and my progress. Mm. And so I would say that that's something that I've really focused on is to acknowledge that my brain is wanting me to, to relive it um, probably as some sort of survival mechanism mm. such that this doesn't happen again. But then I'm quickly trying to remind myself of the progress that I've made. Mm. The other thing that I've, I've done is actually I think this whole experience has been a reminder of, of, uh, awareness and mindfulness. Like, you know, I lost focus for a second and, you know, ended up on the side of the road and then crashed. Mm. Um, you know, that's an example where if I was just a little bit more mindful in, in that moment, um, it could have prohibited that. And so again, it's, it's, it's less of a reminder to like go back, but more of just like slow down mm. and try not mm. to do too much. And by slowing down and not trying to fit so much into, into my day, I can actually get more out of it. And so that, that's been a big lesson for me. And, and then I would say the other is in my work as a coach, I, I, I spend time with uh the the people i partner with to to think about like inner resources and and that we all have uh resources internally and attributes and skills that we can tap into 
uh, in the future to get through certain situations. And so for me, what I'm trying to do through this whole experience is remember the resilience and the patience and all of these, 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 um, what I would call inner resources. And I, and I've been trying to almost like bottle them up such that when I find, uh, adversity or I meet adversity down the road, whether it's professionally or personally, I can think back to this experience and almost use this experience as a catalyst to get through other hard times. Mm. So I find, I find that that's been incredibly powerful. And I'm I'm still trying to bottle up uh, all of the all of the um, the sort of the resources that I've that I'm finding myself leaning on. Mm-hmm. But I guess one 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 more, and then we can move into creativity. But I, I would say that one more um, benefit from this is, and I actually tweeted about this the other day, is that sometimes small steps. Like anytime we're trying to change a behavior or make progress on something, I think our society is like, you know, sort of everyone's mind goes to the end, to the end state mm-hmm. um, when they're famous or the products launched. And like, you know, and, and oftentimes I think a lot of people get stuck because they they see that end state and then they realize like how much has to happen in between and that it's that getting there isn't going to be easy. Mm -hmm. And for me, like what I'm starting to realize through my own recovery is that actually a baby step is the equivalent of a giant step. And, Mm -hmm. and for me, I had this epiphany where I went to the gym for the first time about 10 days ago. And I just got on like, I I forget the name of the bike, but it's that bike. That's almost like, kind of like you're reclined in a seat. It's Mm -hmm. not the, and, and you, it sort of looks like um, you're sitting down. So it's like the seated bike. And, um, and, and you're not really putting any pressure on your hands. And I did, I think, 20 or 30 minutes of it. And I was like, you know what? I barely broke a sweat, but I was moving my body. Mm. And you know what? That was a huge, that, that, that's progress. Mm. And to a lot of people like getting on that bike and only biking for 20 to 30 minutes wouldn't even be a workout. But for me, that was actually taking that small step was actually a giant step for me. And since then I've been going to the gym and I've been like, obviously I can't do any upper body exercises. I can bear, I can, you know, can barely put any weight on it right now, but that small step led to a giant step. And so I think like what I'm trying to say is using that uh, to in other facets of my life. And so how do I start to make small steps in these areas where I, I know I want to make progress and I'm sort of getting bogged down because I'm thinking about the, 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 the hundredth step, not the first step. And so Maybe that's a good segue into uh, some creative projects that I'm I'm contemplating. Interesting, and that's yeah, that's this idea that compounding returns, and that's the crazy thing is that over the long term, you make a bunch of those small steps, and it leads to exponential growth. Like, and that's that's been the case for me, and pretty much anything I've I've tried, in particular, you know, mirroring what you're talking about, essentially this chronic pain, which was that, like. I, running, you know, basketball is great because that gave me this kind of team mentality of working with other people and kind of being motivated by other people to 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 win, you know, the game or whatever. But 
that also this, what's been really important for me is really slow activities like walking and walking mindfully and understanding what is the dynamic nature of the body, the human body in walking has led me to levels of strength and neuromuscular connection that are allowing me to do things that I never thought possible. Um, One-legged squats, uh, push-ups uh, in a, uh, with a particular arm position and working towards pull-ups. And it's the slow growth that is not, that is not like this no pain, no gain mentality, but actually like really looking in into the dynamics of how the body works and, and moves and stuff like that and slowing it down and really getting into it. So let's yeah let's 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 have a talk about creativity and what um what does creativity mean to you and and what are you what are you excited about creating? Well, I, I'd say to me creativity is the ability. Well, the, the, there are a few things. I think for one is um, I think creativity can show up in a bunch of different realms. So like. I would say like I have an identical twin brother. Uh, he and I are obviously very similar, but extremely different. We have very different professions. He's actually an artist. He's, he's a, uh, he's a director of product at Netflix. Um, I am a venture capitalist and coach by training. I am not an artist though. I would say I am very creative. And so for me, uh, in my role as both an investor and a coach, and someone that loves working with founders is my job is to connect a lot of dots. And so to take very different ideas or concepts, um, maybe in one sphere of life or one sector and be able to apply it uh, cross, uh, cross sector and discipline. And so I would say that that is one form of creativity that's more of like, uh, I think a, a, a form of thinking. Um, I think there's also to me, creativity is putting things into the world, whether it's through, um, art, writing, any, any form of expression. Um, and that could be, you know, you were talking before the, the podcast about dance. Mm. So anything, uh, that I think it, it, like a, an outward expression is present. I think is, 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 could also be perceived as creativity. Um, and so for me, I think there, there are a few things that I, I want to work on. Um, I, I definitely want to launch a podcast. Mm. I am currently thinking through a number of concepts. I think one is in the realm of coaching, um, specifically working with founders and, uh, a second group of people that I would consider, um, you know, call it operators or executives that are in transition. So they might either have recently left their companies uh, or in their current role, but know that they need to make a change um, and helping them through that journey. So I'd say that those, so something around uh, either founders or those in transition um, and, and, and sort of leadership more broadly, there's a second, um, theme that I'm sort of playing with that is extremely different than, than the first concept, which is this notion of, you know, I live in New York City. I believe it's the greatest city, uh, certainly in North America, maybe the world. Obviously, I'm biased. Um, there's so much creative energy happening here, which is to build, to create a podcast that basically features 
uh, what I would call like the creators, makers, slash movers and shakers of New York City mm. and really uncovering mm. the stories of those people, mm. um, but also sort of the, 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 the journey and the advice and the tips that they have, um, but not just for technology. Like I think in our world, there's a lot of stories around entrepreneurship uh, and tech, but this would be a, a broader uh, landscape. So everything from Broadway show producers to even say like, I have a friend in Brooklyn that's a perfumer that's like incredibly talented and really trying to elevate some of these people that are, that are doing amazing work uh, but but sort of celebrating New York for its creativity. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's one. Uh, so those are the two podcast concepts that I'm playing with. I would say a second idea that I'm playing with is actually uh, uh, starting kind of like I, I, I dare I, I hate o- almost saying the, the the term, but almost like support groups mm-hmm. um, specifically around uh, for people. Uh, in the startup ecosystem that have anxiety mm. and creating like just like a really safe space for people to express themselves openly, be heard, and then of course be supported through a community. Mm. And so uh, I, I'm in the very early stages of collaborating with someone. Uh, hopefully we bring that to life later this year, but that's something that uh, I, I, I would love to bring to the world. And then I think finally, like, I don't know how it shows up, but you know, I I I, I really got a lot of benefit out of the hypnotherapy uh, sessions that I was doing through YouTube, um, and I think there could even be a fun side project where it's like, you know, could you bring hypnotherapy uh, to a wider audience, but specifically with uh, sole purpose applications or experiences based on the ailments mm. so whether mm. it's it's surgery chemotherapy um could be job anxiety and and so basically launch uh, a whole brand around using hypnotherapy and mindfulness but to treat very specific ailments or situations in life I think that's really interesting, and I wanted to I wanted to bring it back to our early conversation. I remember the tweet that 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 you talked about in terms of who brought up the hypnosis, and it was actually Dr. Cameron Seppa, who was a a recent podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. you should go talk to him. He'd, I'm sure he'd have some interesting ideas. Yeah, um, it's a good idea. So yeah, uh, I love the idea for the podcast, and it, it makes me think about. I'd love to understand. I mean, I love New York, and I I, I want to move there because it has so many things to offer that I can't find in San Francisco in terms of um, uh, just, I guess, community and, and, and like just more aliveness and energy. And, uh, and, and I'd love to talk about like what you see in the current state of either the techies ecosystem there or the creative ecosystem there. And, and what are some interesting things that you've found about how it's working recently? Yeah. Um, well, the New York ecosystem, I would say specifically, I'll, I'll start with tech uh, and, and even the creative ecosystem. I, I think it's exploding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I would say that about I, I start. I moved to New York almost a decade ago. I'm, I'm, I'm almost an official New Yorker. I think I have two more months until I hit my 10 year mark here. Um, but it, it has changed so much. Uh, in terms of just the share number of companies, to give you a sense, we try our our firm primary ventures where I'm a partner 
we we have a CRM system where we're tracking all the companies that mm. we we see in a given year, and we implemented a new system called Affinity in last September. So in September of eighteen, and we've seen something to the effect of eleven hundred companies, wow. predominantly seed stage, um, in the last not even the last twelve months. I would say probably about ninety to eighty to ninety percent of those are New York. But just to give you a volume, uh, just to give you a sense of the volume, it it really is astounding. Mm. And I think the reason for this is, you know, if you look before the financial meltdown, so pre-2008, a lot of the jobs here were predominantly Wall Street Mm. and and consulting and and sort of what I would consider more traditional um, New York type businesses that the, the folks from the Ivy Leagues and top computer science programs are going to. But then, you know, following that, there's just been an explosion of startups. Of course, the first wave were companies like Foursquare and Tumblr and, and, and some others. But now that, you know, there's been a range of really big companies that have been getting formed here. You know, certainly Peloton is one that comes to mind uh, and a bunch of others. And what's happening is, is because the ecosystem here is, is evolving and it's growing, you're now having people that, you know, were at Tumblr and Foursquare and Peloton and, you know, hundreds of other companies that are now rolling out and doing their own things. There's more wealth that's being created, that's being reinvested. So the point that I'm ultimately getting at is that there's a bit of a flywheel effect. And so, you know, we're almost like 10 years into this, this sort of what I would call the really the second major wave of New York tech. The first wave was during the dot-com era where a lot of it was wiped out afterwards. But right now it's, it's incredibly thriving. I also think there's a different dynamic, which is what I would say is like almost like what, what I would call Brooklyn as a brand, mm-hmm. which is, you know, et, sort of the, the Etsy makers and, mm-hmm. and sort of like the, the, what I would just say is like the creative class and Brooklyn has really exploded. And as that borough has really taken a life of its own, Williamsburg, Dumbo, Bushwick, you know, that, that downtown Brooklyn, like as that whole city is exploding, like just the creative energy that's coming out of there is like unparalleled. In fact, like, I think like Brooklyn has just as many startups right now um, as, as Manhattan. So mm. just where, and, and we're seeing it across industry, you know, everything from software as a service, you know, enterprise software to e-commerce to four wall businesses like the wing to healthcare to fashion art, um, music, so on and so forth. And so I think that's one of the advantages that New York has over other places is that it, like I would consider San Francisco very much a monoculture that's predominantly driven by tech. Whereas I think New York is very much an industrial as well as a cultural melting pot where it's, it's, it's just a different dynamic. Yeah. Um, by no means am I saying that we're of the size and scale and scope of the valley. You know, it, uh, obviously Silicon Valley is still is still the best place to build companies, but I think New York is an amazing place 
And I think it's going to be a great place to live and build uh, and create for the next 20 to 30 years. Interesting. That's really cool. Thank you for that. And so I know you got to get get going into the into the mountains soon. Uh, so I just want to ask uh, if there's one piece of advice or one thing you've learned in the last month. We've already kind of talked about it, but like that's helped you to become less stressed and more creative. What would it be? I would say it's it's really starting to focus. Um, and 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 I know that focus is one of those things that. Um, gets thrown around a lot, but I I think part of this is not only related to the injury, uh, but it's also related to where I am in life where, you know, I have a a baby at home. She's seven months. I'm almost 40. I'm turning 40 in three or four months in October, early October. So it's now that I don't have a, 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 an infinite amount of time to spend on myself. Um, it's what do I want to spend my time on? And it can't be everything. Like I used to walk into a bookstore and want to read everything. (laughs) And it used to like excite me and also give me a lot of anxiety. And now I'm like, actually, I only really care about like these one or two areas, which is often today it's around coaching and adult learning and development. Those Mm -hmm. are two big themes that I've been sort of leaning into Mm -hmm. um, pretty heavily. And if it's not, really related to those things and I'm not spending a lot of time on it. And so I would say that the injury has really forced me, forced me to just slow down, focus, and really think long and hard about how I want to use my time. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And how can my listeners find out more about you, find out more about Primary VC? Yeah. So, so you can go to our, our website, primary.vc to learn a little bit more about us. Uh, we invest almost exclusively in New York City because we believe that it takes a local village to raise a startup. And you can find more about me personally on Twitter. Uh, you, my, my handle is at Schlaff and that's spelled S-C-H-L-A-F is in Frank, Schlaff. And you can uh, read a bit about me on my own blog, and that's schlaff.me, where I, I, I don't blog as often as I would like, but I, I do believe there are some gems on there that hopefully will speak to you all. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and I really uh, wish you the best of luck on your vacation here and also with the recovery and the physical therapy. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I I had a blast. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you can find us on iTunes at Crazy Wisdom and leave a review. You know, I've been doing this for about two years now and really appreciate any help you can give. I've not made any money on this. I've put a lot of money into it. I'm doing this so that you guys can gain as much value from my journey as I'm gaining from it. My goal is to serve here. So anything you can do and reciprocation from that, although not expected, would be very much appreciated. Uh, So please find us on iTunes, give us a review. And also you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I, and let me know your thoughts on the episode. I love responding to people's uh, questions, comments, concerns. Uh, all of it I'm fair game Mondays and Fridays I release episodes every Monday and Friday before your morning commute and I'm gonna have a lot more special content coming in the middle of the week because I just love doing these interviews love doing this stuff so uh, I'm gonna give more and more and more uh, and gonna do another special series on Wednesday Uh, one of my favorite coaches um, that I work with Henry Meyer out of Berlin Uh, we're gonna team up together and do live problem solving for CEOs of companies uh, as to how do they how they can solve problems and that'll be totally for free as a special series for us on Wednesday I hope you guys have a great day